Hey, do you need a UK representative, a Swiss representative or a European authorized representative for your medical device industry? Okay, so you can contact now Easy Medical Device at info at easymedicaldevice.com info info at easymedicaldevice.com and we'll help you for that. So talk to you soon. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy Podcast. I am Munir Alazuzi, a medical device expert specialized on quality and regulatory affairs. My mission is to help you learn how to place a compliant medical device on the market. For that, I share with you my experience and the one of others on this podcast. Are you ready for your dose of regulation and standards today? Okay, so let the show begin. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Here is Munir Alazuzi from easymedicaldevice.com. And today we'll not talk specifically about MDR or IVDR or a specific rule of the regulation. Uh, today I invited an attorney, a lawyer that will help us to understand more about intellectual property. So today we have uh, Stephen Carter, so patent attorney uh, with us. So Stephen, welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Thanks, Munir. It's great to be here. Great. So thank you for, for being here. And I hope yeah, you will help us because um, since I, I'm starting to do consulting, so I had a lot of questions about some specific aspects uh, of the regulation. And uh, some of the questions are more about, uh, for me, I try to, I guide people and say, can you please contact more an attorney or a lawyer for that? Because for me, it's more a question of country instead of question of regulation. So I hope you will be help, able to, uh, to help us on that. So, but first, can you maybe just make a small introduction of yourself and just tell us who you are, what you are doing exactly so that people have a better understanding of, uh, yeah, how maybe you can help us? Yeah, sure, I'll do that. Um, so yeah, so my, my, my name, as you said, is Stephen Carter and uh, I'm the founder of an IP consultancy business called The Intellectual Property Works. Um, which I started uh, three, just over three years ago now, um, having spent um, about 23 years working in a couple of different law firms in, in London. Um, so I've got a, you know, a long history of helping a range of companies in a range of technology sectors, but with quite a lot of experience in the medical device, uh, digital health space, um, helping those companies protect their, their innovation. Um, and now in the new consultancy business, working specifically with smaller, the smaller end of the market. Great. And you are helping mainly in the UK or outside or also some companies that are maybe outside of Europe? Yeah, it's a mixture. So um, focused, focused, I guess, mainly on the UK these days, um, but helping some other companies um, elsewhere in the world. So elsewhere in Europe and also in the, in the US, I've got some good contacts and clients there. Okay. So uh, just maybe a, a, a quick question about about that without before we start with the, with this topic. So, uh, did Brexit help you or create more problems for you regarding intellectual property? It's a, it's a good question, um, <clears throat> and it, it's well, it's, it's an easy one to answer in some ways because not really is the answer. It didn't really change very much um, for, for me personally as a business. Um, and actually, when you look at intellectual property rights, um, some some have changed and some haven't. Um, and patents, which are at the heart of a lot of the work I do, um, have not changed at all. So there's, there's a European patent, <clears throat> and everyone assumes that's something to do with the EU and, and would have changed, but it's not. The European patent is, is separate from the EU and carries on exactly as it was before. So it covers all of the EU countries, but still covers the UK and a number of other non-EU countries. Um, for, for trademarks and for registered designs, there was a change because there are EU-wide registrations of, of trademarks and designs um, and the UK clearly is now separate a separate jurisdiction and you need separate 
registrations in those countries. Um, so there's a, there's a change there. But yeah, if anything, for me, it means I now have to file two applications for my clients instead of one. Um, okay. But it's, yeah, that, that, it's not too, it's not doesn't change very much. Okay, great. So good to know. Um, Okay, so maybe for, for, for a start, so one of the first questions, because I think it's the basics uh, in terms of, of, uh, of this, uh, the topic of today. So uh, we are talking a lot about IP or about, or about intellectual property, but um, can you help us to define the scope of what are we talking about? What is it exactly that we are talking about? Is it really important or not important that to have that? So well, yeah, if you can educate ju the, us just on this basic, I think it could be really a great thing for us. Yeah, I think that's a good place to start, and I will, I'll, I'll do my best to educate. Um, so, and I guess the, I think the starting point for me is that if you're, if as a business you're innovating, then you are necessarily creating intellectual property IP. Um, so, you know, if you're a medical device business, that IP may come in various different forms. Um, but let's say you're, yeah, you're developing a new, uh, a new product that you're going to take to market. Um, there'll be designs of the product itself, um, both in terms of technical innovation and, and potentially the way it looks, um, and that's IP. So the, the invention, the te technical innovation is, is intellectual property. Um, you'll then maybe developing a new, a new brand name to go with it, <clears throat> and that brand and, and the brand collateral around that, so the logos and the names and the mm -hmm. strap lines, that's all intellectual property. Um, you might have, you might have uh, you know, user manuals you might have an app that goes with it and um, all of these things that you're creating when you create those things you're creating intellectual property and then and then layered on top of that you have intellectual property rights which are the legal rights that you can use to protect that intellectual property so if you've got technical innovation you can use patents to protect that technical innovation if you are developing new <coughs> um, brand elements so you know names and logos you can use registered trademarks to to give protection to those um, and if you're uh, developing apps so software code um, and, and other materials then copyright is, is a relevant intellectual property right and so what you typically find is that if in one in in, yeah, in one innovation or in a in a business's mind that they're innovating one thing they're innovating a new product But actually what they're doing is they're creating lots of different intellectual property assets that are all tied up in that one product. And then you can use a, uh, you know, a mosaic or kind of suite of intellectual property rights to, to offer protection to that. Um, so so do, do we have some uh, rights that are inherent to the fact that we create that? Uh, and rights that we have to activate, if I can say, um, by registering, like we, we talked about patents. So do yeah. we have those, if I can say, to be careful on, 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 on this? Because, okay, I create, for example, I create a lot of videos, for example, maybe have my copyright in terms of my videos, uh, but it's, I don't have to register somewhere to say that it's my video and it's my copyright or whatever. So, but the patent, apparently we have to put that in a documentation, send that to someone to register the fact that it's our invention and not the invention of somebody else. And usually we are trying to be quick on that because if someone else is doing the same and is, is, is making a patent for this same device. So then we are not appropriate, not owning anymore these, uh, these, these, uh, these, in these uh, products or yeah, what the invention innovation we are doing. So is there things that we can say, okay, you don't have to do anything for that, but you have to do something for that. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. You, and you describe it very well there. There are, 
there, there are you know, each of the intellectual property rights um, have have different requirements and different processes or, or things you have to do to secure them, um, but they fall into two main buckets. So you have the registered rights, which tend to be the stronger monopoly rights, um, which is the, the patents and the registered designs and the registered trademarks. But then you have the unregistered rights, um, so things like copyright. Um, you can, in, in some jurisdictions, you can get unregistered trademark rights just through use of your, your brand in the, in the marketplace. Um, and there's also in, in Europe and the UK, there are unregistered design rights. And they, they come into existence automatically. Um, but the key with those is that if, uh, if, if you suspect someone is infringing, the onus is on you to prove that you own this design or this um, copyright in the first place. So the key tends to be keeping really good records of, of what you produce when. Um, so, and yeah, and you, you give yourself as a really good example there. So when you create your videos and your other content, because you're the original creator of those, you'll have copyright. Um, and if someone copies those things, um, yeah, yeah, you could you could potentially sue them in court, but you'd have to demonstrate that you were the original creator and that you you therefore had the copyright. Yeah. Um, so yeah, rec record keeping's key. But yeah. And I hope the fact that I'm on the video shows it, that it, it probably helps. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, it probably helps. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> one thing that uh, I mean, why I invited you maybe for this podcast is mainly because, as I say, I got a lot of questions about medical device companies that um, are maybe making some confusion between. Um, regulation in terms of um, certification of products, the rights to register a product in a certain country to be able to sell it, and the other part, which is intellectual property, uh, brand names, design, uh, as we as we talked about. So, one of the, if I can say, the one of the 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 area, one of the topic that comes most of the time is the one we are calling OEM OBL, so original equipment manufacturer own brand labeling, which is a state where we have a company located maybe outside like China or USA or Brazil or whatever, wherever, that is manufacturing a product without a brand. So just to manufacturing the product. And then some companies are buying those products and putting their brands on it and then saying, it's my product and I sell that as my product with my brand on it. And then we have this situation now with the new medical device regulation that we are saying, this is not possible anymore to do this activity without being the, uh, if I can say, the fully responsible person for this product. So it's not that to say, I am not the manufacturer, I'm just here to sell the product with my brand tank, but the manufacturing is done by this company. So I'm, I'm completely out of that. Now it says, no, you have to be, or you are fully responsible for it in terms of manufacturing uh, and being the responsible, or you are just distributing something that another company is doing. So there is those two options. And one of the options is to say, okay, I am the distributor now. I don't want to be the full, fully responsible person of this of that thing. I want to be the distributor. So I will buy this product again. I will just make a, an agreement with this company to put my brand on it, but mm -hmm. they will remain the full responsible of this product. But it's my brand, it's my name on it. So, so here, there are a lot of questions saying, okay, what about IP? What about um, copyright? What about trademark? What about all those things? So who owns what? Who has the right to do what? How can we protect our company out of that? So, so can you help us on this kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. Let me, let me try and give some, some thoughts on that. Because um, it, it is it's an interesting situation and it's the, 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 probably the way to look at it is to, to, to go back to basics and, and it, it, it touches on one of the points I made earlier, which is that when you look at one product in the marketplace, there could be 
various different intellectual property assets kind of wrapped up in that product. Um, and it's also possible that the different intellectual property assets in that product are owned by different people. Um, and the, the questions around ownership of intellectual property are, are often the trickiest ones. And they're often the things that trip people up when it comes to due diligence in corporate transactions. And because yeah. they're, they're easy to not think about. Um, and, and, you know, they, they sit there like a ticking time bomb and then they come and explode in your face when, when um, and, you know, investors ask awkward questions. Um, but, but taking the specific situation, um, so if you have a product, uh, well, let's think of maybe a slightly more complicated one. So might, you might have a product that's designed and engineered by one organization. Yeah. Um, so they've, they've come up with a design, which means they, at, at the starting point, is they will own the, the technical innovation, the invention in there. Um, and... That may then be it. May then be manufactured by um, another entity. So maybe your Chinese manufacturer or your Brazilian manufacturer, as you say, um, and they may have some intellectual property tied up in the manufacturing process. Yeah, maybe yeah. they're the ones that have worked out how to uh, produce the product at scale. So there could be some new innovation there. Um, and and then your distributor in 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 the country where the product's going to be sold. Um, yeah, in your example, they're applying their their logo, their brand to the, to the packaging. Um, maybe the packaging they're having made somewhere else, um, but that their you know their intellectual property is is the intellectual property that's in the brand. So they may have registered trademarks, and they may have copyright in the logo. Um, so when you look at the product as a whole, um, yeah, there might be in, in that scenario there might be three owners of the intellectual property in in that ultimate product. Yeah. Um, and the key for the distributor who's um, selling the product is to make sure that they have all the rights that they need to be able to sell that product without without getting into trouble. Um, and that's normally achieved through uh, appropriate agreements, so licensing arrangements. So, you know, the, the design company that came up with the original design would probably license the manufacturer and probably unlicense the distributor. Um, and so license the, their intellectual property and then the manufacturer <clears throat> can license their intellectual property to the distributor as well to the extent they need to, to to allow the distributor to sell and then the distributor has their own intellectual property in the brand um, and if they're then if they're then um, selling that on you maybe, maybe they're a main distributor and they're selling it on to other organizations to then sell to the to the end user um, they would probably want to have agreements with those smaller distributors to make sure that they weren't they couldn't abuse the, the brand of of, of you know, that, the distributor. Yeah, so, so so it looks like there is, if I can say, many levels or a sandwich with a, with a lot of layers here, where um, everyone owns something, and at the end we are trying we give the authorization to the next. Uh, level, if I can say of the sandwich, to say you have the right to use my design, you have the right to use my product that I manufacture, you have the right to use uh, my brand or this and that, etc. Et um, so at, at the end, um, 
here, for example, if we are a distributor and we have this brand name uh, that we are using to sell our products, and if there is a big issue in terms of the design or in terms of the manufacturing of the product, at the end, the impact is more on the brand, I suppose, because this is the brand that chooses to uh, make these products available also on the market. So um, is this something that, um, it's, it's why it's something that maybe also is a, is a problem for the, those companies to say, I will buy a product from another a third party, but I will put my name on it. But maybe there is also a risk for me to have some, some damages on that. So is there also some agreements to have in terms of that to say, oh, if there is an issue on the market, you are, uh, you have to help me in terms of this or you have to do that or, or, the, or the last sense is just no i give you the right to use it but at the end you have no authorization to do anything else with that so so is, is there some some rules here yeah i mean so yes there are in the sense that so the the license of the intellectual property is normally just one part of an overall agreement that will be you know the agreement between the manufacturer and the distributor which it covers a whole load of things like you know, how much the distributor is going to pay the manufacturer for the product, um, what what territories are allowed to distribute in. Um, but within that agreement, you can place responsibilities on the different parties. So, I mean, clearly, you're right. You know, when the distributor is is selling a product um, in the eyes of the in the eyes of the customer, they're the ones they're going to blame if something goes wrong. Um, and so that that's there's a risk. You, know, you take on that risk to a degree when you become a distributor that that wants to distribute under your own brand and build your brand and build the value in that brand. Um, but you can build safeguards into the agreement. I guess firstly, you know, you make sure you pick a, a reputable supplier in the first place who you think is is going to produce a quality product, um, and and you make sure they have the right. I mean, which you know, which you wouldn't necessarily have in the medical device space. You make sure they've got the right quality controls in place. Um, and you might have provisions in the, you know, depending on the relevant strengths of the parties, you might have provisions that allow you to have some oversight of that quality control. Um, and then you might also have provisions in the agreement that if something does go wrong with the manufacturer, uh, with the manufacturer of the product, then, it, then the manufacturer is at least financially liable. So, you know, if, if you get into trouble and you get sued by your clients, and you can turn to the manufacturer and say, well, you've got to cover the cost of this. Um, but that, that doesn't necessarily help with the reputational side of things. You know, the reputational side of things is all about really making sure that the quality is there and that you have some kind of control over that quality. No, I think it's uh, it's it's clear, and it's something that is really important. As we said, the quality management system with really something that is uh, is uh, preparing you for any kind of uh, of situation is really really important. Uh, well, so here, in terms of the of the product. So there is also one case and, and you talked about that. So um, where those products can be distributed. Um, can we have the situation where um, a manufacturer that um, sees maybe that uh, one of the, the distributor is doing really well with this product. So he's, he's making really uh, some, some money with that and say, okay, um, they have maybe distribution in Europe, but I want to distribute that in Russia or in Australia or somewhere else. And I will put this brand name because this brand name is not registered in Australia or somewhere else. So can I steal their brand name and register that in another country like Australia and say, oh, it's, it's exactly the same product as what we are selling in Europe. So it's, 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 it's the same. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a great question. And um, I guess the starting point is that if, if let, let's say the parties were totally unrelated, um, so I, I, um, I have the the mark. Or so you, you have the mark 
um, easy medical device registered in Europe. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that's a great brand. Um, I'm going to set up a podcast in the US. Yeah. And I'm yeah. going to call it easy medical device. Um, from a from a registered trademark point of view, if you you might have a registration in Europe, but if you don't have a registration in the United States, then you can't you don't have any registered rights that you can use to prevent me from doing that. Okay. And um, so that's kind of the starting point, quite simple. Yeah. Um, because these registered rights are they're, they're national or they're regional rights. So if you want protection, um, if if you wanted protection all around the world, you'd have to you'd have to spend, you know a ridiculously large amount of money on getting trademark protection in all of those countries. And no, no one ever does that. People typically will um, seek protection in what are the, the main markets, the key markets for them and their, their products or services um, as a way of managing budget for that. Um, <clears throat> now, in, in some countries, you have these unregistered trademark rights. Um, so you can, if you build up a reputation in a country, even though you don't have a, your trademark registered, then there might be action you can take to stop someone because the the argument is that um, you're that they're creating confusion. They're 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 making the public think that the the goods they're providing, the products they're providing, or the services come from you when actually they're not and they're not associated. So sometimes there are other actions you can take, but it generally relies on you having a reputation in that marketplace so people are confused. Um, But can But you also like, block that just by putting that on the agreement to say agreement. you yeah, are so authorized to so do that? Yeah, so that, that was, I guess, the point I was going to come to. So that, that was, you know, we started off saying if the parties are totally unrelated, then that, that's kind of the situation. When you've got a, an arrangement where the parties, there's an agreement between the parties, um, then, yes, you can place more, you know, more restrictions than the basic law would provide on them. So, you know, you're... Uh, so, so I mean, if you look at it the other way around, the, the manufacturer of the product can certainly restrict the distributor to distribute only in a particular jurisdiction. Um, now, there, there are some sort of rules around that. So you, you couldn't, it, it's harder to carve up the European Union, for example, because there's free movement of goods within the European Union. So once, once a product has legitimately gone on the market in the European Union, you can't really stop it. Moving, you know, being sold yeah. into other countries within the European Union. Okay, but, but yeah, but you see, you can carve things up in that way, <clears throat> um, geographically or even kind of sector-wise. You can you can carve things up with the um, looking at it the other way. If you have a, a manufacturer who starts using your brand, it's a bit trickier to tie that up in an agreement. But you can certainly try. So you can you, you can so partic particularly if they are printing the logo onto the packaging for you, um, which may well be the case. So if they're, you know, if they're manufacturing a packaging, you you would have a license of your intellectual property to them. And that license could have the restrictions in that say, you know, you must only use this logo on packaging for product that you are going to send to us to distribute. Um, and so they would be in breach of that agreement if you if they then used that logo on other packaging. So you have a yeah, you have a an action you can take against them then. Great. I, th I think it's exactly that because, um, I mean, uh, more and more we talk, more and more I, I hear that 
the agreement or the, the 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 contract that you are signing should be really well written with all those cases that we discussed today that should be inside with the clauses with all those things and um yeah i'm i'm always a bit sorry for for the people that are contacting me because they are asking me I, they think really that we are here talking about regulation like a, a ce certification regulation like mdr and whatever but it's not it's not part of it if i can say uh, so yeah. it's why i'm always trying to say contact a lawyer because i I think this is something that uh, is really um, something that a lawyer can really help you with and can provide you really all the, the information that, that you need to have on your documentation or the cases that can happen and that you can protect yourself with that. But I think, yeah, it provides us really a lot of information here about that. Um, one thing that also I get asked, and maybe you can help us on that, uh, is the fact that, um, as we said, so those products are sometimes manufactured outside of Europe, for example, uh, as we said, China, uh, USA, or Brazil, or Africa, wherever. And we get them, um, we, we buy them as is, so there is no kind of uh, difference, we buy them as is, and then we place our name on it, and we are the legal manufacturer this time, so we are not distributing that with uh, uh, somebody else legal manufacturer. We say, no, we are the legal manufacturer, we just buy the products, we create the technical documentation, we create the CE marking, we get the certification for it, etc., and we have our logo on it, and we distribute that. Um, the question that I'm asked always is, uh, can I put also, for example, I'm located in France, can I put also made in France or I'm located in Germany and put made in Germany because maybe in Germany it's like a quality country. We really see that as a quality country with the, the good cars and whatever and say, oh, if it's coming from, if it says made, made in Germany, it's, it's a, it will be a good brand when at the end it was not manufactured at all in Germany. So is there a rule here on how we can place this made in, made in Germany, France or, or whatever? Some, um, yeah, no, it's, it's a good question, and I can see why distributors, in particular, country would want to be able to say that. I guess, I mean, I guess, I guess the first one is that it's not, it's not really specifically an IP question, um, <clears throat> but it's, a, but I guess the, the underlying principle is probably you, you have to be truthful. <laughs> you okay. can't say something's made in a country if it's not. But then, then you get into the interesting question of well, how, what, what does manufacturing mean? Yeah, um, and, and I, you know, I, I think, um, uh, you know, I'm probably no expert on this, but it, it would seem to me that you know, if all you're doing is taking a product, and yet, yes, you've taken on responsibility and you've taken on liability for the the quality of the manufacturing, and uh, and you know, you, you've got risk there. Um, but if if the product was still manufactured in Brazil, let's say, and all you're doing is putting it in a box in France or putting it in a box in Germany. Um, I think that'd be, you know, I don't think it would be truthful to say that that was manufactured in France or manufactured in Germany. If you're taking components that have been manufactured elsewhere and you're assembling them in, in France, um, then, you know, arguably it's then more truthful to say it's manufactured in, in France. Yeah, um, I agree. And it'll be, I mean, it'll be one of those things where, um, yeah, it, there'll be so it's so in the UK um, sort of trading standards and some of the other sort of government or regulatory type bodies will have views on when you can and can't say manufactured in a certain country um, and I think it's it'll be one of those things where there's there's a lack of harmonisation and you probably have to ask the question you know, country by country almost um, so yeah I think it's yeah but my, my best advice um, 
from a non-expert perspective, it would just be be truthful. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> I, I, I know in some countries, I don't know, I, I don't have a list, but in some countries, it's like if you are doing a certain percentage of the activities, like you mentioned, if you are uh, receiving some components and you are assembling them to create the equipment at the end, uh, so then it's made, maybe you can say made in because it's like more than 70% of the things that are done within your activity, which is assembling, controlling, uh, packaging, cleaning, if you need a cleaning, etc. all those things, and putting the, the label on it, etc. and then storing that, so many which is like more than 70% instead of just receiving a component. Um, but yeah, when you receive the full package with all the product inside that is already finished and you have, um, and maybe you are not controlling at all, you just receive the box and you, sell, you, you, you distribute that immediately, then yeah, there is not really uh, any made-in activity done in the, in the country, so it's more something to do. But I agree with you, it's also what I'm saying, please go to a lawyer in the country where you are trying to distribute uh, or where you are uh, trying to make the made-in Germany or France or wherever, so that you have really the legislation in that country because yeah, it can maybe be easier in one country than the other to put uh, the the made in uh, made in the, the country name. So, yeah. um, okay, so I think it's really really interesting here because um, I, I like really the fact that yeah we have somebody that has is not really a medical device expert but is already a lawyer or attorney in, in a certain area that is linked to medical devices because uh, it helps us also to see the perspective outside of our of our uh, of our business here. Um, so maybe how what if I can say so. How, how, what what can you do for people? So, wh which people can help you or can uh, contact you for which kind of cases, what kind of service you can offer to them, so that maybe uh, you get some people out of this podcast uh, that, sure. uh, that get uh, get out to you. Yeah, let me let me sort of talk a bit about what I do very briefly. I mean, so I guess the sort of um, businesses that I can be most helpful to are businesses who are um, developing their own products, innovating, to so designing their own products. Um, and they 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 probably recognise that intellectual property is something that they that could be important to their business. Um, but it's a complex space, and a lot of small businesses don't uh, don't understand exactly how it how it fits into the, their processes and their business. Um, and so, one of the the starting point for me, often working with a new client, is I'll do an IP audit. I refer to it as so it's kind of let's you know let me I get into the business, understand what they do, understand how they how they make money, how they plan to make money, <clears throat> um, understand how their product has been developed or how they're planning to develop their products. Um, so we can work out you know, what IP is being generated, what the best ways of protecting that are. Um, because, yeah, and sometimes the answer might be that actually, you know, you don't, you don't need to take steps to protect it or actually the best, the best um, protection you can get is by keeping, um, the IP secret, so yeah. using trade secrets to, you know, just yeah, you know, you know, the, the classic example of that everyone gives is the is the Coca Cola recipe or the or the KFC recipe is another good one. Yeah. Whereas if you if you try and patent those developments, then part of the patent process um, requires publication of a lot of detail about what it is you're doing. And once you publish that detail, yes, you've hopefully got your patent to to have a monopoly. But that's limited in time. That's 20 years maximum for patent protection. Whereas if you can keep something secret, uh, you can keep it secret forever. And um, so, you know, some, sometimes having done all that investigation, the right answer is keep it all secret or keep some of it secret and patent some other bits or use you know, make sure you've got your brand protected. But it's, it's that kind of audit to say, right, let's, let's look at your world, let's look at your business and let's see how you can best protect that value that you're generating. And um, 
because <clears throat> that's yeah ultimately that's what investors for example are going to be interested in they want to know that if they're going to be pumping money into your company and um, so that you can take these amazing products to market but yeah they've got some chance of getting a good return because you're going to have that exclusivity and you're going to be able to protect that ip that you've been you've been generating I think it's it's good and uh, as you said I think it's really important uh, so um, not in terms of I mean it can be also linked to that too in terms of quality of products but more in terms of protection of your company protection of your business protection of what you are doing and I like the fact that you say yeah keep secret things can be also an option because yeah it's true that as long as you are not, you are not disclosing anything so um, if you have a good safe if you have a good <laughs> good protection that maybe yeah just keep the recipe inside this safe and that is fine so it can be one 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 of the options but yeah um I, actually yeah, it's, it's good to have some expert that can really help you on, on this kind of thing and help uh, on that so don't hesitate to call steven for that so steven so uh, where people can follow up with you um are you on linkedin or this kind of thing yeah link so I'm, i'm quite active on linkedin that's probably one of the best places to to follow it, follow up with me on um if the people have questions always happy to you know jump on a chat and answer questions for people um or Um, email as well. Um, okay, so uh, I will put that on the show notes. So, so uh, do you have a, a website also for your company? Uh, yes, yeah, I have a website. Um, and and Twitter is another way of contacting me. So, okay. Um, so I will I will place all those links on the show notes. So please, uh, for those that are listening, so just go on the show notes uh, of the of the episode, and you will get all the all the information. Uh, if you want to contact St Stephen just to get maybe some some advice, or if you want to hire him for helping you on your intellectual property, I think yeah, you you've seen during this episode that yeah, we have discussed a lot of things related to uh, some cases for medical devices. But maybe you have your own cases that you can discuss directly with uh, with Stephen. Okay, Stephen. So it was really a pleasure to have you on this episode. And I hope maybe if we have another topic, I will try to contact you again and, and see if you can help us on that. Uh, but yeah, it was really a pleasure and I wish you a really a nice day. That's great. Thank you, Minnie. I really enjoyed Thank it. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. So if you like this episode, please provide a review on the platform where you are listening to it. And also don't forget to share it with your colleagues. Thank you very much.